I'm a child of God. Having my hand, the powerful word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, wipe cancer out of our body. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, high five, fist pound your neighbor. My granddaughter gives me fist pounds. She comes up and gets, if I try to give her one, she does this. She wants two. And she'll do it quick and run away. I love it. I'm going to get a shirt that says, I'm the best gampa in town. She can't say grandpa, so I'm gampa. I'll take it. The other guy can be grandpa. I'm going to be gampa. She'll see me come in the door and she'll say, gampa. I have to stop, take a moment, speak among yourself. Oh. Practical atheist. Can you believe we're almost done with this? I've enjoyed the uh, sermons. I hope you have. Some of you have said you have. What is a practical atheist? Someone who believes in God but lives as if he doesn't exist. According to that recent Gallup poll I've mentioned a, a few times, 94% of Americans believe in God or some universal spirit. But 94% of Americans do not live as if He exists. This week, this week, this message may be the most difficult for most of us to hear. I'm going to tell you ahead of time. Uh, so if you want to leave, you can get up and go. Oh, good, good. Stay with me. Because what I'm going to say to you, I want to do by encouragement, not discouragement. And I want you not to glaze it over or brush it aside, but I want you to hear. Please hear what I'm trying to say. And by the way, don't, don't forget that we have all these messages on our website. Under On the left side, it says online features. Click on that. The drop-down menu says listen to sermons. Click on that. And then a sermon player comes up, and it's dated and entitled, and, and so you can catch up. I have a $10 bill in my hand right here. And on the back of this $10 bill, it says, In God We Trust. How many of you believe that? In God we trust. We'll see how you feel about that as we go along. Week one, I believe in God, but I don't really fear Him. Week two, I believe in God, but I don't want to go overboard. Instead, I end up being lukewarm. And now this week, week three, I believe in God, but I often trust in money. Very few people would actually say that they trust in money. But the way we live our lives represents what is really true to us. And many of us claim belief in God and yet we trust or serve or worship or truly believe in money. Luke 12, 34, we read it earlier. Jesus challenges us. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Many of us do not truly treasure God. We treasure money. And the things of this world more than we do the things of God. Our heart is here. And because of that, our heart is not with God as much as in the things of this world. Because many of us are simply practical Atheists. We believe in God, but we trust in money more. 
How do we trust in money? Two ways. The first is we trust money to provide happiness. We trust that money will provide happiness. Now, most of us wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say, oh, hey, I trust money to be happy. So I want to ask it this way. How many of you would say that you agree that money does not buy happiness? How many of you would agree with that? Great. How many of you would be honest, and how many of you would say, boy, but a little bit more wouldn't hurt right now? If you had a little bit more, would you be any happier? (laughs) I tricked you, didn't I? Because we think that this is going to get us happiness. We think somehow this is going to do something miraculous in our life. We don't want to admit it, but the way we live tells it. I've read and I've heard preachers say and people say, Dave Ramsey, others say, let me take a look in your checkbook and I can tell where your heart is. Amen. I told you it's not going to be easy today. (laughs) This one's beating me up too. Somebody left a few weeks ago and said, man, you're too big to be stepping on my toe. I said, man, I'm just sharing the load that's been stepped on mine all week long. So here we go. But this this $10 bill, it's not going to do it. A $20 bill, a $100 bill, a $1,000 bill, it's not going to do it. But we think it will. The more of these I have, the better I am. And yet this thing, they call it the shrinking dollar, don't they, nowadays? <laughs> China, China owns more of these than we do. Yeah. How about that? How about clothing? How about our debt? Americans are grossly in debt. When Corey worked at Wells Fargo, he used to tell me stories about people, not names or anything, he just tell me about these situations that people found themselves in. I never, I, I, for this one, this one's never left me yet. After taxes, this husband and wife brought home $15,000 a month. After taxes. So you get to live on $15,000 a month. And she found herself where she needed to borrow $5,000 because she was behind. Now, you're sitting there going, well, boy, if I had $15,000 money, I guarantee you I wouldn't be behind. Or would you? One of the pieces and the reasons why she was behind is because she bought a $40,000 car and put it on a credit card. At 24% interest. What was she thinking? We do some of the silliest things, don't we, for this? And with this? Clothing, cars, Houses, vacations, vacations. I made the terrible mistake a few years ago of borrowing money to go on a vacation. What an idiot. I will be paying for that vacation for years. I enjoyed the vacation. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed myself. Enjoyed it with my family. It was great. We had a great time. But the bill comes due, doesn't it? (laughs) We believe in God, but our actions say we trust in something far different. The second way we trust money is that we believe in God, but we trust money to provide security. To provide security. 
And if you are a practical atheist, and if this is a problem for you, then you have a functional Savior, and your functional Savior is this. For me, it's not about buying fancy stuff as much as it is that it helps me feel secure. If I got enough of this, I'm okay. If I just had a little more, I'd be more okay. Boy, if I was just like old so-and-so, if I was like George Soros, man, he's got... In fact, he's made buckets of money on our demise. He's one of those guys that short-bought all the, all the money that's going out the door. He short-bought it, and guess what? As it turns around, he sits there at the bank and just rubs his hands. Why? Because more of these are coming. More of these are coming. If I get a bunch of these, I win, right? I've never yet, in all the funerals I've done over the 30 years of ministry, I've never yet seen a casket full of these. Never yet. Never yet. Like the old boy that said when he died, he wanted to take all of his money with him to heaven. Made his wife promise that, that, that he'd, he'd get all of his money and, and, and take it with him. And she said, okay. So, funeral, casket's open, people viewing beforehand. They don't, people come up, and they, they knew what he had been asking for. He wanted to take it all with him, right? And she did. She withdrew all the money from his account. And when people would go up and look, they had a little piece of paper laying on his chest. And you know what that little piece of paper was? It was a check. She took the money and just wrote him a check. He took it with him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Never seen yet anybody take any of this with them. And they was going to do them any good when they got there. Are you with me yet? Are you with me yet? Believe in God? Well, you don't trust in this. Why is that such an issue for us? Why is it such an issue that we can't put our trust in this? Our security in this? Because the number one competitor for our hearts is money. The number one competitor for your heart is money. Talking to a friend just this past week who has a relative who's a drug addict. And now the relative is, the, 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 the aunts and uncles are having to uh, lock, change locks on doors, uh, uh, hide things because this drug addict is stealing from his own family. Because he's got to have this to feed this. Whew. Yeah, well, I'm not like that preacher. Oh, Okay. What's your addiction? Got one? That if you talk a little bit, I bet we can find it out. First, First Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of... What does it say? Money is what? Of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for... Have done what? And pierce themselves with many griefs. The OSSAA, the vaunted group in Oklahoma that oversees all the sports and the bands and the choirs and they're the ruling authorities in everybody's sports life and choir life and music life and they're pointing fingers at poor old Jinx and saying how bad we are and yada, 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 yada. Well, why don't they take care of the old boy that, uh, that uh, took over $400,000 out, out of their coffers? 
And I'm not about to believe that the other three in that office didn't have some idea that this stuff was sliding out, huh? And you know why he lost the money? Did you read that in the paper? Had an online gambling addiction. Really? $400,000 worth of online gambling? And not a soul in that office had any idea. I don't know. <laughs> See, I was taught when you point your finger at somebody, there's three pointing back. So you better be careful, amen, about pointing that finger. But look what he says at the first of that verse. What is the root of all kinds of evil? Money? Oh, the love of money. Got to have it, got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. More, 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 more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Our speaker last night at the, at the dinner had such a powerful testimony. He's talking about he's playing basketball professionally in Brazil. But he got a call from France where he had just come from to Brazil, and he wanted to go back to France. He really did because he loved it, and they were going to give him $25,000 more a year to come play in France. But he had already signed his contract, so in other words, he'd already given his word that he'd stay in Brazil. So he went to the, to the officials of the team, and he said, hey, you know, I might, need to go, I, I might need to go back to France. And they said, oh, no, you've already signed the contract. And he said, you know what, I stayed, in, I stayed in Brazil, and it was the best thing he ever did. But what he did is he honored his word. It meant more than this. But the 25000 was a lure, amen? So sometimes when you're offered more, it may not be as big a blessing as you thought it was. Because with this comes a lot of pressure. With this. I never will forget the old boy that folded up a money like this. And he'd shake my hand. If I, if I called his name, Jack would know who I'm talking about. But he'd shake my hand going out the door. And, and I'd feel something in his hand. And then I learned as a young preacher that that's, that's supposed to be taken out of his hand. So I took it out of, my, out of his hand and then I put it in my pocket. And later I looked at it. And I opened it up. And it was cash, and it was a $50 bill. And, Ooh, I hadn't seen a $50 bill. How? And then he, as he shook my hand, he said, Boy, I hope you and your wife have a great week. And he said, Why don't you take her out to dinner this week? Okay. All right. And then later, later, I found out, because he became a part of the leadership team, that he expected the staff, who he had been handing these to, to vote with him. And when I said, I can't do that, ooh, guess what? These disappeared. <laughs> oh, duh. <laughs> Learned a great lesson. How about, the, how about Jesus' word in Luke 16, 13? No servant can serve what? Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and my wife. You cannot serve God and my pastor. Even though I wouldn't mind it. I can't, you can't serve God and my boss. What does it say? You can't serve God and... Either we hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both. You can't serve yourself. You can't serve power. You can't serve both God and sex. You can't serve God in alcohol. You can't serve God in whatever you want to fill in that blank with. And Jesus knew for so many of us, the number one competitor for our hearts would be 
this. He knows that. That's why He put that verse in. So that you and I would... Do you know that He talks more about money than He does about heaven and hell? Challenge you. Go look it up in a concordance and see how many times He talks about money. People say, well, you shouldn't talk about money. Church, preacher, you shouldn't talk about money. Well, why not? Because, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but why is money a competitor for our hearts? It's because we have made money an idol. And God says, no idols should be before me. But we've made it that way. We work four jobs, we work five jobs, we just can't get enough of this. Why? Because we've got so much debt. Why do we got so much debt? Because we have to keep up with those people over there. I got to remodel, I got to do this, I got to build bigger, I got to have this. <sighs> well, they're going to give you $4,500 for an old clunker. Kathy works for Bob Hurley Ford, Kathy Hearn. She said they're bringing 08 F 150s in for $4,500. Go out there and give them 4500 and take that 08 F-150 out. My goodness. There's some great-looking cars sitting on some of those lots. And there are truly some clunkers. Have you seen some of them? I don't know how in the world they were driving those things. We were looking for a car for Cindy. We were Bill Knight Ford. And he's telling me the story. It's the funniest thing I've heard yet through this cash for clunkers thing. He said a guy called and said, if I, can I have the car towed? He said, no, you've got to drive it on the lot for it to qualify. He said, okay. So he had it towed to the, to the uh, lot across the street. <laughs> Got in it, fired it up, <laughs> shoved it in the gear. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Died when it got on his lot. He said, I'm here. I drove it. <laughs> he said, you qualify. <laughs> now, there you go. How's that? True story. How about that one? For $4,500. Glory to God. Woo. Let's look at two encounters that Jesus dealt with two rich guys who run into Jesus and uh, maybe you'll see yourself in some of these. So the first guy is a very young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. He encounters Jesus. He wants to know what to what he needs to do to be saved and uh, what does he need to do to have eternal life and Jesus responds to him very directly. It's the only time that Jesus ever says this to anyone and he answers this rich guy and he says if you want to be perfect go sell your possessions give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. So why did Jesus say that to, to this particular guy? Well, probably, he was a practical atheist in that area of his life. He believed in God, but he wanted to know what it takes to be right with God, but he trusted and served his great wealth. And Jesus was saying, basically, there is something that's more important in you than God. Which one are you going to choose? And here's the response down in verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad. Why was he sad? Because he had great wealth. And he was sad. And if you have great wealth, Jesus said it's going to be hard for you to get to heaven. Because if you have great wealth, this means a lot to you. Now, what's, what's interesting and fun is when you don't have this anymore. <laughs> you ever been there? You ever thought you had something going and all of a sudden you don't? Well, if you don't think so, just backtrack about six, eight months. We didn't have much back then, did we? Oh, but boy, we were just told about two weeks ago that the recession's over. Really? Yeah. Ben Bernanke stood up and said, recession's over. 
It's over. Well, he was lying then. Why do you think he ain't lying now? <laughs> it's over. It's over. It's over. We choose the things of this world over the things of the kingdom of God every day. Most of you will watch more DVR movies and TV programs than you will spend in prayer all week long. You'll do that today because football's in. Women aren't going to watch football. They're going to watch DVR programs, Love Channel or whatever that thing is. <laughs> Lifetime. See, I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. Bait you a little, you'll go all the way with this thing. Did you know that the average American spends six hours a week shopping and only 40 minutes a week playing with their kids? Why is that? Take ownership of this idea because that's what consumes us. What do we wake up thinking about? How I can give more, how I can be more generous? Be more of a kingdom player? Or do, do you wake up thinking about how I'm going to pay the bills? How I'm going to get, get more? Or, or do you just get stressed out financially? When you lose your job is when you get stressed out about money. Why? Because you got bills to pay. And whenever we have difficulty in our life, what should that cause us to do? Draw closer to God. Quit making another God in place of Him. He said, I'll take care of you. Do you believe it? Well, boy, you don't know how overextended I am. Well, maybe you don't need that car. Get rid of it. Ah, boy, my car payment is $542 a month. There ain't no car worth $542 a month. Trust me. As soon as you drive off the lot, they're going, <laughs> you want to buy that extended warranty? Why do, they, why do they sell you an extended warranty on a new car? Because it's sorry to start with. Amen. Uh, yeah, enough of that. But if you're a rich person, you're going to have a tough time. Who's number one? Well, this rich guy in this guy's life, money was in, incredibly important. So we hear that story and we go, well, yeah, it's hard for them. But, uh, you know, you don't, I, don't, I don't really identify with that because I'm not really rich. <laughs> oh, really? When you recognize that around 60% of the world lives on less than $2 a day, and when you look at it from a global perspective, you are wealthy compared to 60% of the world. If you drove a car in here today, that puts you in the top 3% of money in the whole world. See, and some of you don't have one car, you got two cars. Some of you have got three, four, five cars. You know how many kids you got. And if they're teenagers. Hmm. Worst feeling of all was when Jeff, our first son, our oldest son, drove out of sight. And I saw the taillights at the end of the street, and Mom, and Mom or I wasn't with him in that car. Oh, that's terrible. That's an that's a empty feeling. And then the, the worst one is late at night, and they call you. You get this call, and they've had a wreck. Oh, why'd you have a wreck? Well, I was texting. Well, this person just drove right in front of me. Yeah, well, okay. But you hit a tree. Well, the tree jumped out and bit my car. Because, see, they, they've, they've thought and they learned that this comes really easy. Because they've never had to work for a dime of it. You give them everything. They get mad when you take their credit card away. Excuse me? Hmm. Whatever happened to working? Well, preacher, you just don't understand how to... Yeah, I understand. I got you exactly. 
But you've got to set some priorities, not, not let the world set the priorities for you. You set them. You set them. Then there's this other rich guy that Jesus encountered. A little bitty guy, short guy, had the, had the little man complex. Named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector, and what that meant was he was hated by a lot of people. And the way the tax collecting went back in those days, the government would, you would owe the government $50. He would charge you 70 give 50 to the government, pocket 20 <laughs> Some things have never changed, have they? We can't prove that they're pocketing money, but somebody's doing something somewhere. You know what I'm saying? It's just not working right. But he had this license to go out and basically steal and do legal criminal work, and everybody hated him. So Jesus comes to his town. He wants to meet Jesus. He being a short guy, he climbed a tree, a sycamore tree, so he could see Jesus. And Jesus came and he says, hey, I want to talk to you. Can I come over to your house? I want to sit down with you. I want to have dinner. And that encounter changed Zacchaeus. So much so that in Luke 19 and verse 8, Zacchaeus stands up and he says to the Lord, look, Lord, here, here and now I give, how much? Of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back. How many? Whoo! When's the last time you cheated God? With your money. Well, I don't, I don't have anything to give. Really? You gonna eat dinner today? You gonna eat out? And put gas in your car? Well, I gotta, gotta, I, 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 I gotta have that. Mm-hmm. But do you need this much, or can you have this much? Won't this much get you here to that much? Are you with me so far? But because he had found Jesus, because he had a relationship with Jesus, those possessions didn't mean nearly as much. He says, if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to pay them back four times. Wow. And I bet you he had cheated a lot of people. But if you read on, Jesus said... Today, salvation has come to your home. Salvation did not come to him because he gave half. Salvation came to him, and the difference that it made to him was that he was going to return fourfold what he had stolen from other people. So when salvation truly comes in you, it won't be an issue. When you truly know Jesus, it won't be an issue. Because ultimately, folks, hearts drift. We get far from God. But the bottom line is, is He enough? Is He, having a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, enough for you? When, you, when you're close to God, this loses power. And I'm going to show you a couple examples of that. When you fall in love with Jesus, you will fear God because you know who He is. When you fall in love with Jesus, you can't be lukewarm because you know who He is. And all of a sudden, these loosen their grip on you. Two things happen. Actually, many things happen, but here's two. When you fall in love with Jesus, number one, you become strangely content. Strangely content. I say strangely because people won't understand why you're the way you are. You're content to be where you are. It's okay. Well, man, you've got some old furniture in here. Huh? Still works. 
Oh, you don't have a 94-inch plasma TV surround sound so that when you turn it on, it goes... Oh, man, your stereo, that, you call that a stereo? Wow. Who cares, right? See, most furniture, once you sit in it long enough, you get it broke in. Why get rid of it and have to break in some more? It's kind of like men with underwear. I, I, I don't know. We just, we just don't get rid of the old stuff. We just keep it. It's all tattered up, holes in it, throwing, you know. That's, how, that's the only way I get new stuff is Cindy throws it away because I've kept it so long. First Timothy 6, 17, Paul said, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope where? In wealth. Why? Why did he say that? Because it's uncertain. <laughs> you don't think this is uncertain? Read the paper. Open your ears. Listen to the news. It's uncertain, folks. You can be wealthy one day, and within the next day, you're not wealthy anymore. <laughs> because this has a fleeting thing. It's a fleeting thing. But I trust in God. I believe in God. But do you really trust Him? Do you trust Him? Do you sacrifice your family on the altar of financial success? Do you get to the end of your life and you ask yourself, did this, this money buy me true fulfillment? I'll guarantee the answer will be no. Second thing I want to tell you, some of you are going to resist and no one's going to go out of here and go, wow, I'm so glad you preached that. You will become irrationally generous. Irrationally generous generous the things of this world don't hold you and you see what you have as a great responsibility you just become fanatically irrationally generous 21 percent of consistent u.s churchgoers don't give anything to their church did you hear that 21 percent of consistent u.s churchgoers don't give one dime one penny to their church that's almost one in four. Don't give a dime. They come, they take, and they leave. They never give anything. Take that in for a minute. That could be some of you. Because this is your God. I remember talking to a lady years ago in another church, another city, who told me that she just lost her job, and because she lost her job, she can't tithe. I said, do you have any income at all? She said, oh, yes. I said, then you can tithe. Flip that coin. My father-in-law taught me a great lesson about tithing. He lost his job of 25 years. They gave him severance pay. He began to look for a job at 52, 53 years old. Again, nobody wants to hire those kind of people. But he never one time missed putting a tithe check in the offering. He never one day, one Sunday missed putting a tithe check in the And I asked him, I said, why are you doing that? I mean, you need to hang on to that for your own, you know, for your own livelihood. He goes, because if I don't give it, I'll suffer more. Ooh, there you go. There you go. 
You know, it's hard for me to give 10%, preacher. It's hard, it's hard to do that. Try it. Try it. You might have to reprioritize some things in your life, but try it. You never know the blessing until you do it. Try it. If I never went up and, and tried to kiss Cindy, I would never realize how great it is. I could just stand over there and go, hmm, I wonder what that's going to be like. Uh-uh, man. I grabbed her, lathered her up, and here we go. That's sigh. It was awesome. Can't get enough of it. Yeah, my son's up here. Move on, move on. Okay. It's the bad part about having your kids in church with you. But you see, the reality is, folks, that most of us serve leftovers to a holy God. And here's what God says about that attitude in Malachi 1 8. Malachi 1 8. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Well, I can't bring the best. I've got this wonderful lamb. Look at, boy, you know, look at this. It's a perfect lamb. I can't break that. I'm going to bring that one who's scraggly looking, ugly looking, legs don't look right. I'm not taking that one. That's the one you're going to get. That's what we do with God, isn't it? Well, I just don't have time, talent, and treasures. I don't have money, but, I, but do you have time? Sure, give some more time. Do you have talents? Give those talents, whatever they are. Some people this week called and said, hey, can we decorate the church a little bit with some fall colors? I said, come on. So they showed up, paid for it themselves, and hung it themselves. I went, whoa. They didn't just bring it and drop it and say, there you go, preacher. That's awesome. They bought it, hung it, and stepped back and went, what do you think? And then they don't want anybody to talk about it. Tell them who tell, tell you who did it. So just would you admire it? And just thank God for it? Hey, Amen. That's what we need to do. Hey, Amen. That's what we need to do. I'll give if I don't have to feel it. I'll give as long as it doesn't affect what I want to do. I'll give as long as I got enough of these. <laughs> But I'm not going to give in such a way that I really have to have faith. I mean, really? Really? 2 Samuel 24, 24. <laughs> no, I insist on paying for it. David, the guy told David, he said, listen, I'll give you some, some uh, animals to sacrifice. And he said, no, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my, my God burnt offerings that what? I'm a sacrifice than we're doing for God. Oh, boy. God will make us irrationally generous. Bow your heads as we pray. God, I pray that we would have the joy of knowing what it's like to serve you full of faith. That our lives would truly make a difference in this world. As you keep praying today you'll remember I called money a functional savior and many of you you've got other functional saviors 94% of our country says they believe in God some type of universal spirit I guarantee you that 94% are not heaven bound they're just simply not what does it take to be saved what does it take to be right with God well that rich young ruler he had something in his life that was bigger than God of course it was his things but maybe that's true of the Lord in your life.
some people might say, well, preacher, you know, I work really hard. I, I, I try to be good. Uh, isn't that going to be okay? Well, I simply say you can't work hard enough and you can't be good enough to make it. I want to say to your heart and to my heart that we are filthy sinners before a holy God. And so I say to you that there's no possible way I could work my way to heaven. I could be good enough to get to heaven. You just can't do it. Most people today believe in God, but they don't even shudder at all. Even the demons had enough sense to shudder in their knowledge of who God was and in their belief of what God could do. But what is that story of God? The good news is that we, are, we messed up. We moved so far away from a holy God, He sent His Son Jesus to be the one born without sin, living a perfect life. And He said, you know what? You want to follow me? You've got to deny yourself. It can no longer be about you. Jesus took our sin upon Him, died on the cross, rose again and now says, anyone who calls on my name, anyone who calls on my name, surrenders their life wholly to me, will be saved. All the sin, all the filth, all the guilt, it will be forgiven and you can be transformed. And there are those of you here in this room that are beginning to recognize your need for Jesus. It's hard. You've got to understand it's hard for rich people. And as I've described, we're rich because we don't really know how needy we really are. But we're spiritually bankrupt and we need a Savior. I want to call on you to turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus. Grieve deeply for your sin. Call on His name. Ask Him not just to forgive you because that's really a selfish statement. But ask Him to be first. Ask Him to be the Lord of your life. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Call on His name. Jesus, take my whole life. I give it to you. Would you be Savior? And would you be Lord of my life? Take the hand of the one close to you. And maybe you would pray this prayer with me. Pray, Heavenly Father, take my whole life. I repent of everything I have put ahead of you. I repent of my sins. Forgive me. Change me. Save me. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you. Give me new life. And I give you mine. All of it. Take my life. Use it for your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, here's your chance. If you've got a decision, make it right now as we stand and sing. Great song. Lift up these words to the Lord. <laughs>